still. The others, find them and tell them not to doubt. Even now, not to doubt. Tell them to keep their faith. They must keep faith. What's up, world? This is the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener, I appreciate you checking it out. It is early. What is it? It is 5-12 on Tuesday, January 9th. Uh, 
got to get these in when you can, you know. Um, some updates. So from episode 40, Lynn Arnival, Muay Thai fighter, living and training out of Phuket, Thailand. She's got a fight this week, so good luck to her. Um, go check that episode out. She's, uh, she's really interesting and really cool. Um, hopefully at some point in my epic life-changing journey trip, drop out of life thing, uh, going to go see her fight in Phuket. So that would be awesome. Uh, other travel stuff. I'm going to Mexico. Not, not really though. I'm going to the, you know, the fake created tourist part of Mexico. I want a trip, but in, like, I wasn't really going to go, but man, it is, it's been brutally cold here in New York. Something's broken. I don't know what's going on. Um, and I got to get out of here. I'm going stir crazy. So that's coming up and I'm planning a trip out to California. These are just a lot easier to do in person. And there's a number of people that I wanted to get on the podcast and a bunch of them agreed to do it. So that should be coming up soon. Today's guest did call in, uh, but I think those have been sounding pretty good. Um, I was really excited about today. Uh, my guest is Scott Vogel. Uh, I'm assuming if you're listening now, you know who he is, but he's been playing in bands since the 90s. A lot of bands that were instrumental in shaping the sound of bands 10 to 20 years later. You know, really super cool guy. I mentioned this, but like, you know, he has no obligation or real reason to do this, but um, agreed and um, pointed out again that just like everyone that I've been meeting or at least talking to the, through the podcast has been super, super cool and down to earth and, you know, just just a regular human and it's doing cool stuff. But um, yeah, really enjoyed this one and uh, super happy to have him on and uh, thankful that he agreed to do it. I think that I'm going to do a contest. I haven't done one of these in a long time. So what did I say today was? The 9th, yeah. So today's the 9th. I think this will drop tomorrow the 10th. So let's say you have from January 10th to January 25th. Yeah, all right. We'll say, so the 25th, this is what you need to do. You need to send me an email. My email address is thevoyagesoftimvetter at gmail.com. And I will, no, sorry, blah, listen, it's early. You will send me your favorite memory from a Scott Vogel fronted band show. So Terror, World Be Free, Despair, Buried Alive, Slugfest, your favorite memory of a show. And what I'll do is I'll take my two favorites, um, Maybe what I'll do is in the intro to another episode, I'll, I'll, I'll share what your experience was. And then you can pick, I'll let you know. So I'll, I'll email you back and you can pick a shirt from one of those said bands that still has merch available online and I'll send you a shirt. Sorry guys, just domestic only in the US um, and nothing crazy, right? Just regular shirt. Um, and then I'll also, like, I've got a bunch of podcast stickers. I've got some shirts I made for the podcast that have only been giving to people that have been on the podcast. But I'll send, maybe I'll randomly, a uh, random third person, I'll send one of those out. So, again, your favorite experience from a Scott Vogel uh, band show to the voyages of Tim Vetter at gmail.com.
gmail.com. Okay. All of the songs that you hear in this episode, the information can be found in the show notes. There's also some links to check out Scott and Terror and World Be Free and merch for various bands and things like that. So all that info is in the show notes. Check that out. Um, all right. Yeah, that's the intro for today. Tomorrow I'm recording with the poet Ramya Romana. I'm really excited about that too. She's super badass. So uh, make sure you tune into that one too. All right, folks, hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. excited to introduce my guest, the frontman for Terror, World Be Free, Buried Alive, Despair, Slugfest, one of the godfathers of hardcore music, Scott Vogel. <laughs> Scott, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, thank you for that um, over-the-top, maybe a little, <laughs> little skewed introduction, but I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. What's going on? Ah, just really excited to have you here, man. Um, <laughs> we're about a week removed from the two Buried Alive reunion shows that you played in Buffalo, New York, and I'm wondering how that weekend went. Uh, the weekend went good. It, it, was, it was kind of a, a stressful weekend for me as I don't, I, I'm from Buffalo originally. Now I live in Los Angeles for the last, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. So I kind of uh, stacked my uh, uh, to-do list up pretty high. So I got into town, and I uh, my mom and dad have been divorced forever, so I have two different sides of my family. So I was doing family stuff, practicing, 
uh, with the band and then the two shows. And uh, a lot of my family was also in town from out of town. So it was very hectic and it, it went by very quick. And uh, yeah, it was cool. Do your parents come out to shows like that? No, I <laughs> want to say neither of my parents have ever seen me on stage, which is really a little sad. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, beat around the bush. I, I don't have a perfect relationship with my parents and, okay. uh, for many years it was a lot worse than it is now. And, uh, you know, now I'm maybe a little bit surprised they didn't see me way back then when I was a little bit younger. Now I probably don't advocate for them to come out and see me at age 44 screaming and jumping around like a crazy (laughs) monkey or whatever I do. So I don't really mind so much at this point. Well, it's amazing to me that, um, you know, the music for Buried Alive, if you look at it chronologically, has spanned over three decades. And this decade is almost (laughs) over. So, I mean spanning over four decades, like just the longevity of something like that is really awesome. Uh, yeah, definitely feel, um, you know, we were never any sort of big band or, uh, you know, I, I can remember most of the shows we played. We played a lot of, a lot of our shows with maybe reach the sky and all out war. Those were maybe death threat a lot. Also maybe, you know, most of our shows were with those bands and it could be anywhere from, uh, 40 people to if we drew 200 people that would be like an insane show for us so we were never really a big band i think though that our album the death your perfect world really it's actually you know pretty good i i have to admit i didn't listen to it for a really long time i don't really sit around and listen to the the bands i played in but uh when when we decided we were going to do these, uh, you know, that reunion show in Philly, I had to listen to the record and I was pleasantly surprised. It's, it's pretty powerful. So I think, you know, I have a lot of people that ask me like maybe younger bands, like what do you have to do to like get some, uh, you know, get some, get a fan base or what record labels should we be on? And, you know, those things are all important, but I think really when it comes down to it, you just have to make a good record that the the studio captures the energy and, and maybe some lyrics that people can connect to. And I think that's really why if a record lasts, that's what it really boils down to. Well, you've covered this, you know, through various interviews over the years. So I won't, you know, stay on this topic for too long, but, um, you know, this isn't necessarily like a hardcore podcast. Um, I, when I have guests, it's, it's people from all walks of life that I find interesting. So I do want to, for anybody that might not know your story, just kind of set you within music and I guess like your start in music within Buffalo. So even prior to, uh, involvement in, you know, the punk and hardcore scene, underground music. Uh, what is like your first memories of music that you liked when you were a kid? Uh, whew. Um, I, I think I've, I've said before in, uh, interviews, the first record I ever bought was Kiss Alive 2, the gatefold LP at a garage sale. Uh, <laughs> Soon after that, my mom's boyfriend at the time gave me um, Black Sabbath, Paranoid, and Black Sabbath, uh, self-titled their first album on vinyl. And 
I don't know if that's a good move for someone to do to someone when, when they're like in third grade or something like that. But that was the next chapter. And, uh, from there I got into, um, I was always into music, you know, from there I got into stuff like Iron Maiden and, or like the first Molly Crew stuff and, uh, all that sort of shit. And, um, I was also into like UTFO and Run DMC and Houdini. I remember I used to listen to the song Houdini Friends like on my Walkman all the time. So um, kind of parallel to what I've always done is I was into heavy stuff and I was into like hip hop. And then um, in, uh, I think I was in fifth or sixth grade, my mother uh, moved to Texas. And I moved in with my father who was remarried, who had uh, remarried. So I moved in with my stepbrother and uh, that's where all the underground music started. He was into like uh, the Dead Kennedys and the Circle Jerks and the Sex Pistols and, and all that punk stuff, which um, I was kind of young and eager to learn. So um, he was introducing me to this stuff and we started going to like probably in 1980, maybe 1986 or 1987, we started going to more like local shows and punk shows. And I was playing drums. Like, I guess you could call playing drums really badly. <laughs> and he was playing guitar or bass. So we were starting these little like garage slash punk bands and just kind of figuring stuff out. And, um, I, I never could really get into like the whole anarchy, crazy look, dress crazy, be a freak type, type of vibe. Um, that, that was never really me. Mm. So, um, I think when I kind of, you know, uh, I want to say too, uh, up until this point, I was full blown into sports. Like uh, all I did was want to play. Uh, all I wanted to do was play sports. I played sports all the time. I played organized sports. I played sports with my friends. So when I kind of saw, like, mm, was introduced to like the hardcore scene, um, kind of in the late eighties, um, where it was more of a collegiate type look with shaved heads. And then you kind of put a pissed off attitude on that. And, uh, that really kind of, I guess, resonated with me and I could, I could really connect with that. So once, once, you know, me and him find, found hardcore, I remember, I, I know you said this isn't a hardcore podcast, but no, it's cool. That, anyone that, that's what we're talking about today. It's cool. Right. Right, but for the for the listeners that know what I'm about to say, they could probably think it's as cool as me. I remember, um, uh, for some reason, uh, to go back a little bit, for some reason I was really into Social Distortion, Mommy's Little Monster, that record I really liked. That was probably my favorite punk record back then. And then I saw uh, Another State of Mind, their documentary about going on tour, and I saw Minor Threat in that, and that really connected with me. So I bought the Minor Threat, album and then after that so maybe that's the first hardcore record i ever ever um owned after that a kid gave me a, a cassette like a dubbed cassette with um 
war zone. Don't get, don't forget to struggle on one side, AF victim and pain on the other side. And that was kind of it. So then what I was gonna, what I was getting at was there was a record store in Buffalo and I went to it called home in the hits and I, they had a little seven inch section. And this is at the time where I'm looking through maximum rock and roll and looking for anything with people with shaved heads and jumping and, kind of just had that, that hardcore look to them. And I was, you know, mail ordering anything. And then, and one day I bought the sick of it all seven inch, the no for an answer, seven inch, the chain of strength, seven inch and the side by side, seven inch. And I took those home, listened to them for the next month, read, looked at all the layouts, figured out everything. And that was probably 1987 or 1988 or something like that. Maybe 1989. I can't remember. And that was it. I didn't give a shit about sports anymore. I didn't give a shit about anything anymore except going to hardcore shows and eventually playing in bands. Well, you just dropped a lot of gems in there. I appreciate the <laughs> the Brooklyn hip hop references. Um, do you recall like the first bands regionally that you were into? The first like Buffalo scene bands that that you started following? If you're from, where are you from? I was born on Long Island, so I spent like all my grade school years there, and then you know my all my adult life has been spent in Brooklyn. Okay, so if you're if you're from Buffalo and you're kind of in my age bracket, which I'm 44, or maybe a year or two older, Zero Tolerance is the band from Buffalo that really was maybe the first. I mean, they they had other incarnations of themselves, but when they came into be Zero Tolerance. That was a band like I would see those guys and, and be starstruck and, and pretend I wish I could be as cool as them and kind of jock them and, and check out what sneakers they were wearing. And I would go try to get the same sneakers and and shit like that. So, um, yeah, Zero Tolerance is the Buffalo band. Um, I always would give them uh, like the props for being like. The, I don't know if this is corny to say, but like the kings of Buffalo hardcore. But soon, soon after that, there was a band called Solid State, which, um, oh shit. Soon after that was a band called Solid State, which came, went on to be, um, Snapcase. And they were kind of the band that when they had their original singer before Daryl started singing, they were kind of the band that I could look at and be like, these are just dudes like me. Why couldn't I could do this? So I give zero tolerance, the props for being like the band that I thought were, was the best, but I'll give solid state the, the props for being the band that I saw that was like, brought me back down to earth saying like people in band and hardcore bands aren't really gods. They're just people like me and I could do this. There's a uh, quite popular pop band <laughs> that got its start in Buffalo, the the Goo Goo Dolls, and uh, yeah. like just in going back and preparing for this episode, like I saw that they had kind of been affiliated with you know local punk and even some hardcore shows. Like, did you <laughs> did you ever see them back in the day? Yeah, for sure. I I I had seen I've seen them so many times. Really? I can remember seeing seeing them in like a, a tiny um, venue where they were like maybe 200 people. Just a, They were like a punk thrash, like just in your face. Like if you, if you look at their first records, 
um, they're on Metal Blade, and they have songs like called like uh, "Don't Beat My Ass with a Baseball Bat" and "I'm Addicted," <laughs> I'm Addicted because I want to be. So they were like just a Buffalo like punk thrash underground band and we would go see them like i would say my first hardcore show ever was like dri with gangrene and the guru Dolls. so i saw them play with all sorts of metal and hardcore bands and um i remember one time in particular seeing them be like we're going on tour throw any of your clothes on stage because we don't have any clothes and, and we don't want to be homeless or, or like we don't want to be cold on tour like that that's awesome <laughs> yeah and i mean i i'm a sucker for a good radio hit so i'm i'm uh very proud that they're from buffalo and you know they, they were a band that was on mtv and vh1 at the same time and and all over the radio so uh you know, some people might think they're corny, but I think they're amazing. Do you remember the first time that you went to New York City for a show? Huh. Mm. I don't think Slugfest ever played in New York City. Uh, I definitely didn't have the, you know, I would go to maybe as far as Syracuse on a really regular basis. Like being from Buffalo, I could go to shows in Toronto and Hamilton, uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. Cleveland was a stretch. Syracuse was amazing and had such an amazing scene, but New York was like seven hours away. Yeah, it's pretty so fun. I didn't, I didn't really go there, but, but Despair, my old band played in, in at CBGB, so... That might have been the first time. Uh, I know I went to Middlesex, uh, the college in New Jersey, to see, like, Mouthpiece and Stripe. So there's a chance, maybe, but I, I don't think I ever, you know, I was never going to New York, like, on a regular basis in the, like, early 90s. Okay. Um, you alluded to something with, like, talking about going through maximum rock and roll and in finding bands and records and things like that. Uh, I am a bit younger than you. I was born in, in 1986. Um, but even like when I first started getting into to music in like, uh, I would have been 13 and 99, right? So even at that time, it was still pretty much pre-internet. And so, uh, you know, I would, I would get those like... Um, epitaph comps or like you would write to a label and send like two bucks for like a sticker or a pin or something like that. Uh, and nowadays, like I really appreciate how easy it is to, to do everything, to access to music, to know about shows, um, to hear about new bands and, and buy a shirt or something like that. But it did feel, at least to me, like you were a little bit more involved in it when you had to, to go that extra effort. And so I'm wondering if, as somebody who's making the music, if you have a preference for, like, the spirit of an era, like, if, if you appreciate it more now just because of the ease of it and you can get your music out to more people much more easily, or when it was, like, very grassroots and DIY and, you know, we'll make this happen ourselves, uh, which of those, like, eras do you prefer as a, as a musician? Um, I think... I think uh, 
right now, 2017 or 18, excuse me, would be uh, one word I would say is like uh, it's over over flooded. Mm. I mean, it's so easy to record now that uh, everyone records. It's so easy to put your music out that everyone puts out everything they record. Um, I, I just think I just think right now there's just too much and you you're just overwhelmed like i know even for me i i can't be, besides this band racket club which is uh members of sam i am it's, it's a record i got a few months ago and it's by far the the most listened to record i've listened to in years because i actually listen to it all the time but besides that i i don't remember any time i sit down and listen to a whole album from start to finish because I'll go, you know, I'll go for a walk and I'll put on a record and then it'll, something will pop into my head that I have 400,000 other records on Spotify and I'll go to one of those and then I'll listen to one of those and a song will come on that I don't really like. So I'll start listening to a podcast and then I'll be on my phone listening to the podcast and someone will call me. So I'll take the phone call and then I'll look at my text and I'll start texting people and it's just like you're just overwhelmed by music and technology and there's so much stuff and like if you don't want to listen to music you can go look at Instagram and like how see how cool all your friends are and all the really awesome things they're doing and you're just like it's just your brain is flooded and on top of that there's just so everyone has a band or everyone has five bands and they're all uploading their music and it's just like it's impossible. Like for me, when I first got into hardcore, I would save my money because I actually had to buy the record. And if you actually buy it, that, that gives you a reason to actually indulge in it and give it a full 100% listen. And there was only like a new hardcore record. I don't know. Like, you would you would see an ad for like the the Killing Time album and wait months and months for it to come out, and now you're just like, there's just so much shit. So I I would have to say, I obviously see the advantages now. I obviously understand them and and have to roll with the punches and go with the changes because it, we are where we are. But I think. Also, another huge thing that really, 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 really sucks is you do not get any artwork, you do not get any lyrics, you do not get packaging. And, you know, anyone that listens to albums on a record player knows there's something special about the way that that sounds putting on an LP having the 12 inch artwork and taking out the insert and maybe it's a poster and looking over that whole thing. That's just like a lost, beautiful thing that doesn't, I mean, it still exists. There are people that still do it, but genuinely, gen, gen, for the most part, <laughs> people don't do that anymore. And it's just lost and it sucks. So I'm going with the jaded old guy answer and saying it was so much cooler then to get 
one hardcore record a month that uh, was really special as opposed to opening up Spotify and saying, I have every record in the world. What am I going to do with it? Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, when I was young too, I remember like it shows on Long Island, there would always be distros too. Like there would be people that just brought crates of records or those uh, like white boxes of, of seven inches and you just, you know, between sets or before bands, just flip through it, find new stuff. Someone else would be like, oh, you got to check that one out. That's great. Um, and, you know, I'm I'm kind of an ancillary <laughs> figure in the music scene. I'm not even a one, one millionth involved as you are, but I, I don't really see that stuff here anymore, um, if it happens at all. Yeah, there's not... There's not really distros. There's, there's, I mean, there's still zines, but there's not zines like there used to be. It's just a di- like, you know, that most zines are online now, so I wouldn't even call them zines. I would maybe they're more like blogs or mm. I don't know um, online magazines. But I mean, it is what it is. I mean, just, just you know, maybe because this is the one thing I love so much and have given my whole life to. It affects me a little more because if you ask me about, if you're like a total movie person and you could say the same thing about, there's something about going to the movie theater and getting your ticket and waiting till it comes into the theater and getting some popcorn and sitting down and seeing the movie in the theater and it's such a beautiful experience and no one does it anymore. I'm like, fuck that. I got 500 <laughs> movies on Netflix. Right. I'm sitting in my house and I don't have to go near anyone. So I definitely get it. But when it's the thing that you've given your whole life to and really love, then it's, it's looked at a little bit differently. All right. I'm actually going to, I'm going to get into some of that sort of like the lifelong aspect of what you've been able to accomplish. But I'm wondering to kind of set the stage when, when you were younger, right? you know, uh, let's even say, let's say 20. Um, what, like, what did you, what did you see for your future? Did you envision like, Hey, I'm going to be able to like, uh, crack the life cheat code and be in bands my whole life. And, or did you think like, Oh, there's a certain profession that I want. Like, where did you see yourself at the age you are now when you were younger? Uh, to be honest, I'm just one of those people that just didn't really give a fuck. I never, I, I never, I never, you know, I never really had that conversation with myself. Like, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Or you're not going to college. You're going to fuck up the rest of your life or you better uh, get a skill. I just, I, I guess I never grew up and I never planned to grow up and I never uh, uh, carved out a path for a comfortable future or I never really, I mean, I, I knew that I was never really a material materialistic person where if I didn't have a cool car or couldn't have these things that didn't really matter to me. The only thing that really mattered to me was like having money to get into shows and, and, uh, <laughs> being, being a hardcore kid, it, it really isn't a cheap thing because, or it isn't really a financially uh, thing where you're gaining because you're you're dumping your money into making fanzines that probably cost more than what you can sell them for. You're um, putting out 
um, records that if you charge $1 over the price where you can actually break even, the whole scene complains. Um, you, you have like the hardcore police telling you that you're selling your T-shirts for too much, which are like $12. But if you go see fucking uh, Molly Crew, their shirts are $40 and that's fine with their fan base. So it's really like, it's really not a thing you get into to make money. But at the same time, like I was saying, I didn't care about that. As long as I could get into the shows or had like four other friends that would put money in to drive to, you know, Syracuse or something to go to a show. <laughs> that was all I really cared about. And, you know, I, I could live in, in Buffalo. It was a pretty cheap city and I'd share a three bedroom apartment and my rent was like a couple hundred dollars. And, you know, I didn't care about anything uh, to answer your question. Did I ever think I would keep playing in bands till I was in my forties? Of course not. Sometimes I fucking hate that I have, um, you know, there's a lot of times when, um, you know, in, in the middle of some other country going on week three of a tour and I just want to be by myself and mm. not have to scream and not have to do all the things you have to do when you're on tour because it, you know, it sounds touring sounds like the coolest thing in the world, but when you've been doing it for 15 years straight and you just want some alone time, it can really make you miserable. Um, and I, I don't know, I don't think I cracked any code or had any plan. I, I know, uh, all the other bands I did before terror always broke up as soon as we like put out our, our, our record. So it was always like, I just kind of, learn from my mistakes and taught myself to be less of an asshole to the people in my band and less of a band Nazi and less of a control freak. I mean, I'm still an asshole band Nazi control freak, but hopefully not to the point where everyone wants to quit the band because I'm so such a dick to them. So, um, yeah, I think the key is, I think the key for, for someone like me is just being um, kind of honest and being aware that, you know, sometimes we're going to still play in a basement to 50 people and I'm totally fine with that. And then a month later, I'll be on stage in, in at a festival in Europe playing to like 10,000 people and you just can't let you can't let either of those things pull you up or down too far as where you start to think you deserve things or that you don't deserve things. You just kind of roll with the punches and try to give it your all and try to make good music that lyrics connect with people. All right. There's a, <laughs> you're, you're dropping gems that I, I want to expand upon. Uh, you made me think of one thing I had. Um, I had Jeff from modern life is War on the podcast and he said, I'm paraphrasing, but it was something to the effect of like, you know, sometimes when I, when I go home to my hometown, like, I don't want to be Jeff from Modern Life is War. I want to be Jeff, like Jeff who has other interests. Um, do you ever feel that way? Like when you come home from a tour, do you ever want to be like Scott that likes podcasts or Scott that wants to go hiking instead of being like Scott Vogel from, from Terror? Yeah, that's why I become Scott the Hermit that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> I really, I mean, I, I still like going to shows and I still, uh, I, I don't, I don't feel like obligated is the right word, 
but it's like I, I'm still even at my age like there's this new band from LA called Dare that uh, I really like and support and the like young kids are like 21 or something and uh, they're playing tomorrow like an hour away from me and I, I plan on get, it's not like my favorite thing but I'm going to get in my car and drive an hour and see them tomorrow because I feel like to be a part of this scene and, and if you're in a band, you got to kind of give back what you've been given. So I'd feel like a dickhead if I'm, I'm the type of dude that only goes to a show when my band plays and I expect all these people to come out and support me when I don't support anybody. But that's kind of getting off the topic. But yes, I absolutely feel that way. I, I sometimes hate, I mean, I, I've got two, two explanations. Um, uh, there's a band called, or, or two, two thoughts that came to my head. There's a band from, um, uh, Detroit called build and destroy. And maybe like a year or two ago, they played a show on Halloween in LA. So I went and it was like, I wear a costume to the show and, you know, I wore this mask and I noticed that I felt like I wasn't Scott Vogel from all these bands where, you know, I'm, I'm not like that important or popular or a big deal. And I can go to shows and people have no idea who I am, but there's definitely certain shows I go to that where I have a lot of people that want to talk to me or take a picture with me, or I can just see them staring at me. And then there's that, like, that's all in kind of a positive way. But then there's also people that know who I am because I got drunk and was a dick to this person or, I, you know, was in blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, sometimes, and it felt really cool. I was thinking, like, oh, this is cool. No one knows who the fuck I am. I can just stand over here and just be myself. And well, the other thing I was thinking is, like, you know, when I go to hip-hop shows, no one fucking knows who I am. No one fucking cares who I am. I don't know who any of the people in the, the groups are like, you know, I know them just from a fan perspective. I can just go to the show, pay my money. There's no guest list. There's no backstage. There's no this, there's no that. I go to the show and then I leave and go home. And it's such a refreshing feeling to do stuff like that. So, so, uh, yes, I do. Wow. Uh, th this will be my last heavy point. I don't want to keep like depressing people. Uh, with my questions, or uh, this isn't even a question, but uh, I've been go. I don't. I don't know what I'm going through, but with with guests I've been having on, I've kind of been going through this like almost like self discovery thing, where I think a lot of what you're talking about is really similar to like uh, my last guest, right? She, uh, her name is Anastasia. Completely, you know, completely different from you but has chosen a life of travel and like she works on, on these yachts and uh, gets paid to work on the yachts and then on her downtime just, just travels the world. Like gave up traditional nine to five, decided to live the type of a lifestyle that she wants to live. And that it's the same for, for everyone I've had on here and that's partly why they interest me. Um, I feel a little weird sometimes. Like I had my buddy, you know the band Incendiary? I think you probably played with them. Of course, yeah. Okay, so I had my bu my buddy Brian on, and in talking to you, like it's almost a little embarrassing sometimes because it's like I definitely, you know, I cashed out, cashed in or, or sold out on that type of a lifestyle for for one of like security 
career and everything like that. And I'm not trying to say like I, I hate my job, but I definitely hate what comes along with that. Like the it's very easy to get stuck in a rut, like wake up, coffee, work, come home, put your feet up, watch something on Netflix, repeat. And like the days blend into days have blended into years. And I'm at a point now where it's like, this is why I'm doing all the, the, this podcast and this travel and talking to people. And like, I'm making some bigger changes. Um, and I, you know, that's not a question. It's just, it's like, uh, just a point I'm making that I, you know, maybe it's, it's the time or the era or the age, but I do think a lot more people nowadays are, are looking for a way out of that traditional lifestyle and like what's expected for us and choosing to take a path that's something that they really love and are invested in. And, uh, I just think it's cool that despite the things that we were just talking about, you've been able to, you know, follow your passion and dude, you, you're, you're a lifer, man. <laughs> like you say, you're not that important, man, but you're Scott Vogel. You are, you know, you are legendary for a lot of people. So I, I, I think it's pretty awesome that you've managed to sustain that type of a lifestyle. I think, I think, um, maybe one of the keys that, uh, can, can be, um, the key to maybe some sort of happiness on my end of things or what you were just describing is you just got to find some sort of middle ground because we terror as a band toured so hard in so many months out of the year <clears throat> for like 13 years straight that it kind of, uh, makes you insane and kind of makes you hate it. Uh, um, and now we've really, really, really backed off of that. And it's really helped our mental sanity so to the point where like, sometimes you're actually looking forward to go on the road. And, and there are times like where someone would be like, Oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I got to go to Japan next week. And they're like in my face telling me, Oh my God, I can't believe you get to go to Japan. That's so cool. And in my head, I'm like, I don't want to fucking go to Japan again. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do this. And it's so sad to think that you're having those thoughts in your head when you're going to a foreign place to play music. It's like, it's like a dream come true. Mm. But when you're doing, when you're doing it for the fifth time in like seven years and, and in between all that time, you've been doing the exact same things in every other continent, it starts to make you hate it. So I feel like whether you're on tour or you're doing the nine to five thing, you gotta kind of not let it, completely consume you and and let yourself do other things too and, and and know that there's a limit even if it's you know even if you love Reese's peanut butter cups like I do <laughs> if you eat if you eat them all day every day you're eating your favorite thing but you're gonna get sick of them real quick so you kind of gotta just have some sort of balance to what you're doing yeah um I had something written down to ask and I mean, you're being very humble in saying that, like, uh, you're not that important. But I think, like, your impact on the history, it's, it's a short history, you know, of, of hardcore music. It's a few decades in. But, um, it, like, if there were to be, and you might, all right, the question is, if there were to be, like, a hardcore history textbook, like, where would you place yourself in your impact? Um, because I think, and you, you might not like me saying this, but, um, 
you're almost like you almost transcend the band that you're in and i'm not trying to be like super cheesy here but like so you form um two year and a half ago two years ago you form world be free and like people are going to check that out because scott vogel's in it you know not just because it's a new band um so like where do you see your personal impact in the history of this music agnostic front on the cover of this book or whatever you described <laughs> it. Um, I, I, I really appreciate you, you, um, say, thinking of me that way, but I'm just, I don't, the, the only thing I can say is I know that if you put a pile of all the records that I've, uh, played on all the zines that I've made, uh, I don't know if you could put this in a pile, but all the shows that I've booked, all the bands that I've let sleep on my floor, all the phone calls I've made for other people uh, to try to help their bands, um, all the, you know, I've given a lot and I've done a lot and I've been a pretty productive member of the hardcore scene. That's all I can really say for myself. Like, like, uh, I know that, you know, I've been doing it for a while and shit like that, but I don't at all. When people say tag legend to me, I I just don't think of myself like that. Um, maybe that's because I, I hold the bands that got me really passionate about hardcore and such like, you know, I would call like AF legends or even mad ball legends and Warzone and, Gorilla Biscuits, and I definitely, definitely don't put myself in that sort of category. But it's nice that you say nice things about me <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> well, I just think even in, like, uh, like sonically, like, just, just sound, like again, uh, I'll bring up my buddy Brian. Like, I know, like, Buried Alive's riffs have influenced, like, the, the you know, the music that he writes. Um, and, I mean, and, you know, there's 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 dozens of bands that, you know, have been influenced by the sound and the style. Um, but, I, but, but I hear you, I get it. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to switch this up and <laughs> maybe do something a little lighter, uh, in the, okay. in the early days of, or maybe even pre internet memes, uh, on music message boards and things like that, Scott Vogelisms was a thing, uh, I mean, you are aware of this, right? I sure am. Okay. <laughs> so, um, my, my question is, like, like, were you in on this? Were, were, you, were you ever rehearsing the things you would say? Because, I mean, some of them are freaking <laughs> brilliant and hilarious um, and just, like, just fun. I mean, I guess for people who who maybe don't know, I doubt anybody doesn't know if they're listening, but just like uh, stage dive calls and things like that and demanding like maximum output from the audience in the pit and things like that. Um, did, did you come prepared with these in mind when you would play? No, no I, it was really nothing like that. I think um, to, be, to be perfectly honest, we when... Uh, terror maybe 
2004, maybe around that time, we, we had so much violence at our shows. We had so many fights at our shows. We couldn't play a show without there being a fight. And it was really, uh, it sucked. It really sucked. And I think to kind of get us out of that sort of mind frame, uh, I think if you, I was trying to maybe shift the band in a different direction where things weren't all about punching each other in the face to these really hard ass mosh parts because it was getting old fast and it was mm. kind of ruining the band. People didn't want to take us on tour. Clubs didn't want to have us and it sucked. So I think, uh, for a while I just got a little bit more drunk and a little bit goofier <laughs> and I think um, when, and that was just like a little bit of a, a phase of terror and all of a sudden that website popped up and it, I, again, like, I mean, I guess you can tell by what you were saying, what, what you were asking me before. I'm just not, I'm not all about like having this attention and this mm -hmm. website and this thing about me. So I kind of, uh, wrote the website and I was like, what is this? Take this down. I, I don't like this. And it was, uh, it was a, a female, I don't know her, but it was a female in Toronto that was just like, please don't make me take it down. I love your band and blah, 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 blah. So, um, but all that did was just made me stop doing that because when I also didn't want the band to like be known as this, like, you know, I mean, I love Murphy's Law, don't get me wrong, but I didn't want to have that sort of vibe be uh, what what we were known for because whenever I write lyrics, I want them to be serious. I, I take writing lyrics very, very seriously and it was kind of making, it was taking away from that. So uh, if, you, you, if you were around for the next phase of terror, what we did was we just didn't stop. We would get up on stage and play like 14 songs in a row with no stop, right back to back to back to back. So there was no fucking any any funny business with mm. me talking. So, and I think now we're at a point where we play like seven songs, and then I'll talk maybe for one a minute or two and try to say some serious things, and then we'll play like seven more songs and it's over. So it's kind of like a, a middle point now. I gotcha. <laughs> Have you ever seen the, there's a show on YouTube um, called Hot Ones with the hot wings? Hot Ones. Hot Wings, like chicken wings? Yeah, yeah, it's called Hot Ones, but essentially there's, um, uh, who puts it out? The so Not the source. Is it the source? But uh, there's a guy in the interviews like uh, Pop, culture figures, rappers, musicians, and things like that. And they eat really spicy wings and uh, they have to try to answer questions and like not cry through the heat. But they have uh, a section called Explain That Gram. And you kind of segued into something. Uh, I wanted to ask you about something you posted. You might not be able to answer it, um, but like your, your Instagram is, is cool because it, it's kind of like a, a hardcore history lesson. Like you, you post some really good gems um, and so I had a question about one that you posted back in October and if you can't provide details for obvious reasons, don't worry about it. But, uh, the picture is of whiskey, a go-go and you 
gave some details about uh, an epic, maybe not for a good reason, epic night um, in which you had to get uh, your head stapled. And I'm wondering if you can tell this story or not. Uh, I, I would love to tell it. I just don't know if it's legally smart to tell it. Okay. I mean, I'll just put... I'll just put it in a real simple term. Uh, the whiskey, because I, I feel like we're we're definitely banned from there. They'll never let <clears throat> they'll never let us play there again. Um, the whiskey booked a hardcore show, and I, I'm I know the whiskey knows what hardcore is, and then they wanted to take hardcore kids' money, but they didn't want a hardcore show to happen. Mm. And uh, when people were stage diving and dancing and stuff they were grabbing people in kind of a over overly uh, aggressive way and throwing them out and at a certain point the whole show had enough of letting these bouncers uh, kind of flex on people and the show turned on them and there was a lot more hardcore kids than there was bouncers and you know what happened happened and uh uh, I got a fucking, um, <laughs> you know, when you go to the movie theater or you go to the bank, there's those dividers where you walk down and then turn around and walk back and like, Oh yeah. I don't, I know what you call them. Whatever those big metal things are that, uh, hold the little ropes in, yeah. in the area. Uh, someone I know picked one up and threw it at a bouncer near me and, Smashed it off my head. So, Jesus. Um, yeah, it was it was a pretty good gash. I think I had like five staples in my head or something. And you know, this this is this is what I was talking about. We just had this time where there was just so much violence at our shows, and I'm very glad it's not like that anymore. But I mean, I guess we we lasted 16 years or whatever. So I guess uh, it's part of our history and. I, I can't want to go back and change it. There, there are certain things I wish I handled differently. And I've met people that said they really got, you know, hurt at our shows. And it's one thing to get hurt because you stage dove, but it's another thing to get hurt because there was a bully at your show beating little kids up. And I, I don't like to think about that. I wish that never happened. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't want to put out there exactly some of the details. Okay. That's uh, totally fair. Do you, yeah. do you think that people like, um, do, like have misconceptions about you or other guys in the band, like that they expect you to be violent and hard and angry and things like that. Like maybe people that, uh, again, are like ancillary figures to heavy music and just listen to it and don't participate in that, in it that much. Like, are you expected to be like Scott Vogel, the tough guy? I hope not. I, I think people think that I just listen to Madball 24 hours a day, <laughs> which is, you know, I, I really listen to mostly stuff like uh, the Get Up Kids and Rival Schools and Lifetime and stuff like that, or hip hop or a lot of podcasts. Um, I, I don't know if what people think about me. Uh, I think in some aspects, they, they're right. I, I love, like, when, when we go on tour, I always love to, you know, when we're touring with the younger kids in hardcore bands, I always find myself gravitating towards them and just 
talking about their favorite records and stuff like that. I, I really do enjoy that. Um, I don't know. I, I think uh, I can't really get with the tough thing. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. All right, I've got some like re- uh, a bunch of really quick questions for you. So I'm gonna try to make these not shitty because sometimes like. I don't know. You did one of these once before with like 25 quick questions and no offense to whoever recorded it, but I thought they kind of sucked. So uh, hit me with them. All right. So you've mentioned podcasts a few times and this is a podcast. So what are some of your favorite podcasts? Uh, The Cypher is such an awesome hip hop podcast. I love that. I really like the Combat Jack show and he just passed away. That's really sad. Um... Vinny Paz's uh, The Broad Street Breakdown. I listen to that a lot. Um, I like some of the like the the crime serial killer podcast. Uh, yeah, let's just go with those. Okay, cool. Um, you've alluded to a lot of older hip hop artists. What is your favorite um, current rapper hip hop? Current? Yeah. I don't take you for like a like a, a mumble rap guy. No, not at all. <laughs> current, I mean, is Raekwon, is that still current? Or is that old, but still? I'll allow it. We'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, I'm it. Yep. I mean, I, I like Freddie Gibbs a lot. That's probably cool. someone newer that I really got into. Um, favorite city or country to play in that is not a city in the U.S. or the U.S.? Uh, I really like Germany, and that might be because we we have a really good fan base there, so we get you know treated a little bit better. But I got some good friends in Germany, and I like a lot of the cities in Germany. Uh, a caveat to that. Have you played in uh, Southeast Asia, like Thailand, Indonesia? Yes. Both oh, okay. Of those. oh, okay. Um, just because I was in Indonesia this past summer and I was like really pleasantly surprised at like the, what's happening there with music. Like kids are really into punk and hardcore music there. Yeah. It's fucking insane. Like Indonesia is the place in the world where we, like, as a headlining band, drew the most people. We drew, like, over a 1,000 people there. Oh, which for really? Us is just insane. So you would never expect that. But there's something about Indonesian hardcore. It's, like, really big over there. Was that in Jakarta? Do you remember? Uh, we played a couple shows over there. probably was. Okay. I think we went there twi- twice. Oh, that's awesome. Um, dream, let's say, maximum four bands. Uh, besides a band that you're in, dream lineup that you would play with, and it doesn't have to be hardcore bands. Okay, so I get Terror gets to play a show with four other bands. Yeah. Anything? All right. Uh, Coldplay. Uh, Hot Water Music. Lifetime. And rabies appears from the grave in Warzone place. <laughs> All right, sweet. Um, for, for Long Island people, 
and uh, not to put you on the spot, but favorite band, past or present, from Long Island? Not New York City, Long Island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> King Nine. Okay, so your current band. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a huge Glassjaw fan. Mm-hmm. I like VOD, but I'm not a huge VOD fan. I was never a huge um, Silent Majority band. I mean, I like all these bands, but I'm not a huge fan of them. Um, I'd have to go with like King Nine or Backtrack or or some shit like that. Right. That band Iron Sheik, they're really good too. Yeah, I like yeah. them a lot. Awesome. Um, all right, I'm wondering. Uh, so I asked you before when you were younger, looking ahead. If you if you were to look ahead now, and I know you said like you don't always do that, but um, like wh- where do you see yourself in another twenty years? I can't do that one, man. Yeah. That one's too scary. Too scary. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm trying to just like uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, think, I don't see myself being in terror. Yeah. <laughs> would um, Would you ever consider a book or even, uh, like, I, I would think a podcast with someone like you, like, you know so many people, not just from within hardcore, but, um, I mean, just the stories that you've amassed and accumulated, would, I think would be fascinating. Would you ever consider doing something like this? Um, me and my friend Andrew, who plays in the band Strife, have had this uh, fantasy podcast we're going to start for like a year now. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Um, as for a book, I, I have this major problem where my memory is so terrible. I, I, I don't know if my uh, life is worthy of a book, but I have such a bad memory. I can't. I couldn't even begin to to pull out. I'd have to have like like Nick, the drummer of Terror, who's been in Terror from day one. He could write a cool book on Terror because he'll tell me like, remember this and remember that. And I'm like, I have no fucking idea. So my brain is gone. Hmm. All right. Well, listen. Um, at, at at the risk of blowing smoke up your ass one more time. Uh, first of all, thank you for doing this. I know that like, there's no real reason to, uh, but again, I think this is kind of a testament to what you've been able to, to do for music and for hardcore. Uh, I mean, it's also like, I see you do it all the time where you'll bring out newer bands or younger bands or bands that don't have as much exposure, um, and get them out there. Like you've taken bands from within the realm of hardcore, but you know, like I, I saw you on tour with Modern Life Is War, and I can't remember the other band, but it, there was like a, like a Christian metal band that was on that tour too, um, and so I think all of that is really badass. I think that uh, those things are really generous, um, and again, just just personally, I really appreciate having you on here. So um, thanks for doing this with me. It was my pleasure, and. Uh... I like new bands, so I want to tour with them. <laughs> awesome. And uh, I, I appreciate you having me. I'm always down to talk about hardcore and stuff like that. Is there anything before we go that you want to plug? 
uh, I talk about Racket Club. If anyone anyone like Sam I am or like like uh, good music in general, they should check out that record. I talked about Dare. They're like my new favorite hardcore band. I really like Regulate. I know they're from uh, Out Your Way. Um, no, I mean, what we talked about, we talked about. Uh, I'm not going to say uh, all the new terror records and stuff like that. If, if people want to check out my shit, they can go for it. Okay. Well, in the show notes, I will uh, link to all that stuff. We're going to, within this episode, I mean, people would have heard it already by now if you're hearing my voice, but we'll, we're going to play a song or two. Um, for anybody that's, you know, hasn't been introduced to, to the bands that you've played in, uh, stay on with me, Scott. I'm just going to close out, um, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, but as always, everybody, thanks so much for listening. I've got two more this week, um, more really exciting stuff. So, uh, thanks for listening and as always take care of each other. Bye-bye.